Hello, I'm Mark Pugac and welcome to Game On. So European football return this week, an outstanding win for Liverpool against Leipzig and likewise for Manchester United against Real Sociedad and also on the block, two new tyros in many ways, and Mbappe and Haaland. Are they ready to take over from Messi and Ronaldo? Well, joining us to talk all this, Danny Murphy and Jamie Redknapp, who both played for Liverpool, Tottenham in England, and Martin Samuel, the Daily Mail's chief sports writer. Hello, everybody. I hope you're all well, staying well in these strange times. Uh, let's talk about Europe to start with. Jamie, for you and Danny, but Jamie, start with you. Liverpool, terrific in Leipzig. And it's tempting to say, do they look like a different animal in Europe to the league? But up to the 80th minute at Leicester, they look pretty good in the league as well. So what do you think Europe might hold in store for Liverpool? I think that's obviously now their priority, because if they can you know, get, have a good run in the Champions League, that will just start to breed confidence, because that's what it is right now for them, Mark. Confidence is, has completely gone in the Premier League. Teams are not looking at this Liverpool side as one where they can't get after them. They can't get chances, opportunities, goals against them. Three points, which last year or the previous year felt so difficult to come by. I think that Virgil uh, van Dijk effect uh, is huge for Liverpool. You know, you see, you see Jordan Henderson now playing as centre-back and you see Kabak who did really well in midweek, but it's still early days. But I think that's the sort of result they need. They needed some confidence because you keep losing games, especially when it comes to, you know, last 10 minutes of a match where things can turn on its head. That was something associated Liverpool pre-Van Dijk and uh, pre-Allison. But right now it feels like it's just becoming the norm when you watch them. So it might, might be a different Liverpool we see in the Merseyside derby then, Danny, as a result of what they did in, in midweek. Well, I think if you're a coach and you're Jurgen Klopp especially, you're looking at level of performance. The Man City game at 1-1, you could have argued, I fancy Liverpool to go on and win it. 70 minutes against Leicester, yeah, 75 minutes, whatever it was, they were superb. And I thought the level of performance against Leipzig was good. So the last three games, actually, although Alisson capitulated and made, what, four mistakes in the two games, you know, it, 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 was, it, was, not, it was not the Liverpool we saw against Burnley, against Southampton, against Brighton. You know, it was a different Liverpool. So I, I, I think that, that win in midweek will give them a bit of confidence, especially for Alisson. And as Jamie said, Kabak, you know, he, he, he'll, he'll gain some confidence from that performance. He looked a bit more confident coming out with the ball and playing. So, yeah, I mean, the other thing against Everton, of course, is that the record's so good against them. I don't know whether there's a psychological thing with Everton at the minute, but... And don't get me wrong, they're better than they've been in the past, a bit more creative, got some better players. But if they don't have Calvert-Lewin, I'd fancy Liverpool strongly. Mm. Martin, what, what was the uh, European result which caught your eye the most? I mean, it might have been the Liverpool one. What, what stood out for you from the British teams? I thought Manchester United's result against Sociedad was, was very, very good because um, they haven't been having a bad season. I mean, Manchester United should beat Sociedad, but it was an emphatic victory. Um, and I thought Liverpool were very impressive. I mean that that ties dead after after the first game, and I'm, I'm looking at I'm looking at the Leipzig team the other night, and Liverpool were just in a different league um, from the very start. I mean they had that chance right at the start of the first half, they had one right at the start of the second half, and then after that it's it's 42 minutes of Liverpool basically, uh, and the defence looked like a uh, an accident waiting to happen. I don't, uh, you know, 2-0, you, you, you could never say a tie is over. But this one, I can't see Leipzig coming back. Um, and Liverpool, you know, all the way through, you think it's still Liverpool. They're still the team that nobody wants to get, even with all their problems. 
nobody in Europe will want to face Liverpool because they're capable of extraordinary feats in Liverpool, as we saw against Barcelona. So they, they carry a lot of a lot of threat, basically, a lot of, of a lot of mental threat to the other team, if you know what I mean. Danny, it felt like a changing of the guard this week as well, broadening it out in Europe, didn't it? And Mbappe and Haaland now, rather than we talk about Messi and Ronaldo. And if that's the case, how thrilling it will be to compare these two for the next 10 years. Well, I mean, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be silly to write off Messi and Ronaldo just yet, but it was phenomenal to see those young players um, doing what they did. I mean, Mbappe, I've had the pleasure of watching live a few times. Um, I was in, obviously in Russia watching, I did a lot of their games. He's a phenomenal talent. Um, he really is. He, he he could be the one that goes on to, you know, I don't know if he'll get to their levels of goals, but, you know, to, to win a lot of trophies and be a prominent figure in the world of football. Haaland, you know, we'll have to wait and see. He's come on the scene and he scored a lot of goals. He's a wonderful talent. Um, but I think he'll he'll have to move. I think he'll have to go and test himself. Um, but it's great to see young players of that quality. Um, I just don't know yet if we can... I, I'm, when you write off people like Messi and Ronaldo, it tends to bite you on the bum, doesn't it? And there's still a lot of football to play this season. But yeah, it is it is great to see young talent coming through. And we've got plenty of our own in this country as well, haven't we? Jamie, I think it was the photo though, wasn't it? PK grabbing mm. Mbappe's shirt as Mbappe's disappearing. It's sort of, I mean, I take Danny's point entirely, but there always has to be a change in the guard generationally at one stage. And that just seemed to encapsulate the whole day. Maybe also ageing Barcelona, not just Messi getting older. Yeah, absolutely. There's certain photos that sort of encapsulate, as you say, a moment. Uh, I'm not trying to compare him yet to Maradona, but you remember Maradona with all the Belgian players around him and he's like, mm. wow, look at this photo. And then you see a player, like Danny says, who's just an incredible athlete, footballer, um, the pace and the power that he had. You could imagine him just dragging him along the whole pitch if he'd have, if he'd have been able to keep hold of his shirt. And I do think it felt, although he, he's done so much Mbappe already, and I'm not trying to say he hasn't, but it did feel like a breakthrough moment for him. Sometimes you need those moments, you know, to score a hat-trick at the, at the Bernabeu is just one of those feats where Messi's there watching. And there was a photo of Messi stood there while he's celebrating. And what Messi and Ronaldo have done uh, has just been phenomenal. To, to, we're lucky enough, the four of us, to have watched those guys you know, go head-to-head -head in this era. Now, can these two be the next ones? I don't know. I, 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 what I hear about Haaland is, is, is only good things. Great attitude, uh, amazing you know, talent. I think his dad obviously has a huge part in his in his path of his career. Like you say, he won't be at Dortmund forever. Mbappe is very much the same. Great work ethic, wants to do well. But you do feel that there will be a, a moment where he go, where his next choice of club will be so fascinating. I'd love to see him come to the Premier League. Obviously, Barcelona and Real Madrid uh, will be what will be calling him. But Martin, you'll know better than me. Financial situations now, yeah. everything has changed to so where he goes next. Yeah. Barcelona and Real Madrid aren't the aren't the force that they were. They haven't got the money. They quite simply haven't got the money to make these enormous transfers. Now that could change uh, if Messi is sold, um, because that takes a, a enormous pressure off their wage bill. Um, you know, the, the transfer fee isn't the issue. It's, it's getting people off the wage bill. That's why they sold Suarez. Um, and, and Real Madrid are in a similar state. So there's never been a better opportunity for um, English clubs to take advantage of that. Um, but Spain's, Spain's a strange place. People, you know, get government loans from, from nowhere and, and, yeah. and all of this sort of stuff to maintain that superiority. And there is obviously a great 
it's in the national interest in many ways for Barcelona and Real Madrid to maintain their superiority. So you don't know what breaks they might get to, to for that to for that to happen, basically. But we'll see. I mean, at the moment, if if you're looking at it as as black and white on a on a balance sheet, they haven't got the money for guys like Ireland at the moment. But Dan, it's a fascinating one because he's not going to be a PSG forever, Mbappe. Quite clearly, is he? Because I know they're not winning the league at the moment, but they tend to win the league every season. And and Dortmund are struggling to make the top four. So it is an interesting one. Let, let's bring him in now while we bring in Harry Kane, where for the first time ever, really, people are writing about numbers, 150 million, would Tottenham accept it? It's a different conversation to maybe the one we would have had 18 months ago, pre-pandemic, with these numbers. Yeah. yeah I mean, sorry. sorry. Yeah, I think no, 150, million, 150 million for... For Kane, for me, is probably unrealistic now. With not just with the pandemic, with his age, he does tend to have these ankle problems. And if you can go and get Haaland or Mbappe for a similar amount, I, mean, I don't know if that's realistic or not. But you know, then you would probably go down that route. I would, if I was looking at it from talking about Liverpool, for example, because Mbappe has been linked with Liverpool. You know, I'd, I'd be, I'd be going down that angle all day long. I, I think paying 150 million for any one player um, is is a risk in terms of if they get injured, if they struggle, you know, you're putting all your eggs in one basket. Um, maybe Mbappe's an exception to that rule with his talent. You know, I think that's probably um, a good investment in terms of what you get back to purely on the, um, you know, the selling of the shirts and worldwide recognition for the signing. But I, I wouldn't, if I was Man United, Man City, Liverpool, I wouldn't go down the cane route. I wouldn't do that. I just think with with the other talent you've got out there and the and the way the pandemic's affecting finances, financial fair play, I'd be looking at a different way. I'd be looking at a different route. That's an interesting one, Jamie. So you've got 150 million. You spend it on and your City, United, Liverpool. Do you spend it on Kane, Mbappe, or Haaland? Oh, any of them. I think I, I agree with what Danny's saying to a point. I I think if you buy, if you were to get, if you're Man City, get Harry Kane next season. I think they're pretty much guaranteeing they win a league for the next three years. And that's how Man City might look at it. Well, that's a great investment at that time. And Mbappe, you're certainly buying more for the future because of his age. Yes, he has had a few injuries, Harry Kane. Not so much, what, not you know, knee operations or anything like that. Of course, he's had his ankle and he's had a bit of hamstring. I just, thought, I just think he's, so, he's phenomenal. And you can imagine, I watch Man City a lot, as we all do, thinking about the, the chances that De Bruyne would create for him or Mares or... Uh, Bernardo Silva I, I think that's pretty much a given that he would score those goals and I think with Harry Kane I spoke to him in, in the summer I did an interview with him and he was talking about his future and I don't think he'd ever it, Tottenham's his club it's all of his family love Tottenham but I think he got to the point now where he wants to see the club playing the football and uh, in, in a style of football and he wants to see his team um, competing for honours now I think it was December the 15th, they were top of the league. And he's probably thinking, I can do everything I want here. Now, right now, that's changed because the team are not playing good football. Everyone thought it was a masterstroke when he was playing deep. He wasn't playing deep because he, Jose wanted him to. He's playing deep because he wasn't touching the ball otherwise. That's the only reason he was coming to help the midfield. Right now, it, it, he'll be thinking, if we win the Carabao Cup, is that, is that enough? Uh, we'll wait and see. But he will want to see his team close to, you know, getting in a Champions League, winning trophies under Jose and playing a style of football. If not, Man City would look at Mbappe, Kane or Haaland and any one of them would just be fantastic signings for them. But I certainly wouldn't rule Kane out because you're guaranteed the amount of goals he would get in that team would be a joke. 
So, Jamie, do you think it's now, I don't want to put words in your mouth, more likely that he may well leave this summer, Harry Kane? Well, if he don't, if they don't, if they don't win any, tro- if they don't win the Carabao Cup, um, you know, look, they could still end up with two trophies. They could still end up with the Europa League, and they could still end up with the Carabao Cup. And he might, and that would be, or and finish in the top four. A brilliant season for Tottenham. But they're, they're, when I when I watched Tottenham, yes, they did okay last night, and it was against a really poor side. But I I, I can't imagine that he's enjoying playing the style of football that they are right now under Jose. They've tried to change it a little bit, and the more they've tried to change it, the worse they've got. They're actually better sticking to that style where they play a defensive and hit teams on the counter-attack with, with Kane and Son. That's what worked for them early in the season. That's what got them to the top of the table. If they don't win anything and he's not unhappy, I'm sure there'll be a conversation. I'm sure in that last contract that he signed, there was some kind of agreement with Daniel Levy that said, if, I, if I'm not happy, if I want to go, let's not cause a problem here. Let's do something that works for both parties. Um and, we, and then we can make make a, a a sale happen. Now, as I said, I don't think it would be what he wants because all of his family are mad Tottenham fans. Mm. But I just think right now he's getting to the point where he's done everything. He's you know he's England captain, scored you know goals, golden boots, individual honours. But he wants to win something as a team, and I'm sure that must be in the back of his mind right now. If the right offer from if Man City made a push for him in the summer, I wouldn't be surprised if he said, "Yeah, you know what? I actually do fancy this." Yeah. And Martin Mancini probably do need a striker in the summer because Aguero's coming to the end and might mm. even go this summer. Well, he's got six months left on his contract. He's 33. Uh, he's played three, started three games all season. Um, so, um, yeah, they, they, they need a striker. They, you know, and, and the interesting thing with Guardiola, we all know Guardiola's ideal team is, is 10 midfield players. Um, probably 11 midfield players, bearing in mind the goalkeeper's now making 65-yard um, assists. Um, so, if you look at Kane, at the moment, he's top of the assist table in the Premier League as well. So, he is that sort of Guardiola player. He's not just a striker. He'll put other people in as well. The £150 million, pounds, one, it's it's Manchester City. So, as long as they can make the numbers work with UEFA, um, they've got the money for it. But the, the second thing is, the price is about what he's worth to Tottenham. It's, you know, he might, he might be worth £150 million to Manchester City. Certainly, at Jamie's point, that they could win the league three years on the turn. Then he, then he pays for himself. Um, and profile around the club and all of those things that are important to them. But basically, why it's so extravagant that the asking price is that how are Tottenham going to replace Harry Kane and the only way you could get anywhere near it is if you had something like £150 million at your disposal. And I'm not even sure that works out for them because who would they get? They're not going to get Haaland. They're not going to get Mbappé. They're not going to get any of those guys that we'd see as a, as a replacement in, in stature. So what are you going to do? You can throw £100 million at a striker um, or you could do what they did with, with Gareth Bow, they bought seven players for the ninety nine million pounds or whatever it was, mm. which works out about fourteen million pounds, fifteen million pounds each, of which Ericsson. I mean, Ericsson was a, was a great signing. Um, yeah, Lamella I'm looking is, at the list now, Martin. There. They got Ericsson, Lamella, Soldado, Capu, Paulinho, and Chadley. Yeah, mm. so you've got you've got one that really really worked. Mm. And one guy that's still there who I think is a, is, is a good player or whatever and, and could have been a, a part of the team, but hasn't always been a part of the team. Mm. So for, for Tottenham's point of view, it's worth every penny of £150 million. Where did, the 
Sorry, Martin, I'm going to ask you this question because obviously we've all heard the 150 back then that we've mentioned. Where did that come from? Is that just a, well, it's, a it's figure, Lado's story? A it's, it's Lado's story, and 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 you know, I don't think Lado writes stuff unless he's heard. He's you know, so there must be some talk yeah. within this is this is the price that um, uh, that Tottenham will be asking for him. Um, it made sense to me. It made you know. I'm not saying it makes sense as a, as a price for Manchester United to pay, for instance. Um, City, City, maybe because they've got much more of a vacancy there. But what certainly made sense was the number, as far as Tottenham was concerned. But Danny, a number, uh, Danny, a number is one more. thing. A Danny, mm. a number is one thing, but a psychological impact on a club is quite another. I mean, you look back to I don't know, Arsenal Wenger's Arsenal when they kept selling Fabregas and Van Persie and whatever they went for. It almost was was minor compared with the psychological impact on the club of losing another top player. Well, yeah, I mean, it would be devastating for the Spurs fans, wouldn't it? But I think the majority of them would understand. Um, the blame probably wouldn't lie at Harry Kane's door. It would lie within the hierarchy, I think. Um, I mean, I'd say Jamie's point about if City were to get Kane, they'd, they'd probably go on and win you know, the title for the next few years. But you could argue that with Mbappe and Haaland. I, I'm, mm. I mean, probably the, the, the financial doesn't pay, as Martin says, it's, it's not as big a deal to City. But I still think the logical side of your recruitment would... I know Kane's a wonderful player. He's a special, special player. But I think if, you can, if you've got any chance of getting Mbappe, because he could play down the middle. I mean, he, he plays on the right because he started out there as a younger lad, but he'll end up down the middle like Ronaldo, like Messi. Um, you, you could argue Mbappé signs this city they'll win it for the next five years you know what I mean it, <laughs> oh yeah I don't agree I, 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 I don't disagree with you there I, I agree but I'm just saying that the three of them yeah and I think when you say about Kate it, you know, just, it just feels that any they're so special any of them would they make are. that difference and I think but I, I also think we're talking about City I mean Liverpool now are in a position where okay take away the injuries you've got the players to come back and in the summer it's a big decision for Liverpool on what to do in that area you know to try and go and get somebody a world-class player who can go into that 11 and make them better. I mean, yes, OK, that would break up the dynamic three if, if you're bringing in a striker to take Firmino's place, for example. But it's a big decision for Liverpool in terms of their financial output, whether they go for it. Um, I think They'd have I to think, sacrifice one of those, wouldn't they, Jay, uh, Danny, financially probably to bring Mbappe in? Maybe, but then again, that you lose something by doing that, don't you? Because Mane and Salah have been so... Salah may be the one, Salah may be the one you'd probably get the most money for. Um, it's going to be fascinating, but it always is every mm. summer. I think I think City is the one to watch because Aguero does look like he's he's probably had his day there now. Do you not think the other the other the other thing with this is that Haaland? You've got a lot of competition. Every club in Europe wants wants Haaland. Dortmund are a selling club, so he will go eventually when he wants to. But um, Dortmund, so, but there you'll get a lot of competition. Kane, because of the hundred and fifty million, City could find that. There isn't, you know, they're number one in a field of one, maybe, for him. Mm. The problem you've got with Mbappe is you've got the one club in Europe, apart from Manchester City, that couldn't care less if, if you know, what, you know, they, they've got the money. They have got the money to just tell everyone to go, you know, go away. Um, and particularly a club like Manchester City, I don't think, you know, if you look at the political situation between Qatar and the UAE that has existed for the last few years, Qatar's flagship European club does not want to lose their striker to the UAE's flagship European mm. club. Um, I, I, I don't think there's a chance in hell that Mbappe could ever end up at Manchester City, you know, sadly, but there isn't. Um, 
so of all of those players, and also the other thing with PSG is once they start winning in Europe, and they got to the final last year, so they came pretty close. Once they start um, winning in Europe, it's a great club to be at. You, mm. you, know, you win the league every year. If, if you can compete in Europe as well, you live in Paris. Um, it's it's a basically a, a, it's the only got to be the only capital city in, in, in Europe that's that's only got one major club. There's a few out in the suburbs that are in the other leagues, but got one major club. It's a fantastic club to play for mm. PSG. And the only problem with the only drawback being winning the league's too easy. Um, yeah. That, that you know. So would you be would you be satisfied with that? But. If you can remove that from the equation, whereby they're competing in Europe, they get into the final, and, and, and so you get your you get your sort of ego boosted by that. It's a wonderful club to be at. There's an idea. I just say, there's a you know almost an idea as well, maybe to keep your powder dry. We're talking about six months ago, some clubs were furloughing their staff, mm, and right now exactly. we're talking about 150 million pound <coughs> signings. So it might be a situation right. where. You do just wait. You see what happens. Danny alluded to it there. Liverpool next year haven't really probably got a sign because they're going to get back to what they were last year once they get Virgil van Dijk. We all think there's so many reasons why Liverpool haven't been good, but the one is staring us right in the face. They lost someone so colossal in their back four that you stand in the tunnel. We've done it down when you stand and you think, how are we going to get past this guy today? And that's what Virgil gave Liverpool. So when he gets back, straight away, you've got the crowd back fingers crossed and you've also got you know a leader of men so they won't they won't mm. feel they need to do perhaps as much as some of the other clubs Jamie I was just going to say whatever happens let's hope that Mbappe and Haaland drive each other along and entertain us in the way that Messi and Ronaldo have for a decade because it's great for everybody as simple as that boy girl whatever age race color wherever you live in the world to see two people driving each other on in the way that those two have wouldn't it be great to see it again with these two Absolutely, Mark. I, I, I have to be honest, some, it was a, some stats on social media the other day that said he'd have to score 45 goals a season uh, every single year to get anywhere near their numbers. So it is going to be incredibly difficult because of the way they weren't, they, they weren't just great footballers. I think they've got that obsession. And if, mm-hmm. and, and if they have that obsession, then they can, they can do anything they want. Um, but I just think the, the two players you're talking about, Messi and Ronaldo, just from another planet. And I think we just have to enjoy them for what they were and, and still are. You know, Ronaldo yeah. will still create incredible moments. Don't, forget, don't worry about that. And so will Messi. He just looks a little bit bored at Barcelona right now, which is a shame. Yeah. yeah. OK, mm. Jamie, let's talk about a club very close to your heart, Bournemouth. And Thierry mm. Henry, and well, he's the favourite to take the job. What's, what's your reaction to that news? Well, I'm not surprised. I, I think in terms of what I've heard, Mark, is that when it when uh, they they first uh, Jason Cinder was sacked first of all, a lot of managers were getting mentioned. I know that Frank would have been sort of top of their list, um, and John Terry's had a mention, um, and then Patrick Vieira, obviously uh, Wagner uh, Wagner that was that uh, Schalke was it like was it yes Huddersfield yeah, was it Schalke yeah. last yeah. year yeah they, they got yeah. relegated yeah. he got a mention uh, Patrick Vieira and then obviously now Thierry Henry and and, and for Thierry. I'm obviously a big fan, as a, as a, not just as a player, but when you when you meet Thierry or talk football with him, he's such a student of the game. He went obviously to America, went to Monaco. That didn't quite work out for him. So Bournemouth would be. I, Bournemouth is a great job if you want to get into management right now. 
they leave you alone to get on with it. You can you can do so. Like you, you look at how long uh, Eddie Howe had to produce it. Even when they were under pressure, they never really reacted off anything. If anything went wrong, it's the crowd are very nice down there. There's no major pressure on you if you want to have time to really do something and coach the way you want. Unlike some clubs where the pressure is 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 huge. So for for they've got a good squad as well. Obviously they've they've sold a few. They've sold Callum Wilson. Um, there's the boy that went to Everton. Um, Josh, Josh, Josh King. Yeah, Josh, Josh King's obviously left as well. So they've let, they've lost a few players, but they've also got a lot of talent still there. It's going to be hard for them to come straight up. It looks like there will be a, a playoff situation, but I I fully understand why Thierry would want to go down to Bournemouth. Great place to live, club close to my heart, obviously. But they've got to get this one right, Bournemouth. Otherwise, they 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 could easily as easy as they could come back up. They could get back mm. to the situation where when I was there, when they were a second division, first division team in those days, uh, three, four thousand people. So they've got to be very careful. They've got to get this one right and get back to the Premier League because they've got players on huge wages down there. That obviously you're if you're the owner, you don't want to keep playing that paying those players unless they're earning it. Mm-hmm. Martin, what do you think? You're on re-management. We're this it's 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 in the category we're fascinated to see whether a really good player can be a really good manager. Yeah, absolutely. And you always want really good players to be really good managers as well, don't you? That, that's the thing. Everyone, when Martin Johnson um, got the uh, job as England's rugby coach, everyone wanted Martin Johnson to be the greatest England rugby coach had ever been because, you know, everyone loved him as a player and loved what he stood for. You think, oh, I really hope this works works out. It's like Bobby Charlton, isn't it? You know, you really want Bobby Charlton to be a great manager as well. And, it, and it, these things don't always, it, these things don't always work out. And, it is, as, as Jamie said, it's it's a, it's a it's a good job, but it's a very very volatile league. Um, anything can happen. Any anything can happen in, in the championship. Really, I mean, I know uh, Norwich are top again, and the other two clubs are in the in the playoffs. But it's not always like that. It, it, it's mad. You've got as much chance of going straight through it into into uh, League One as you, as you mm. have coming back, and and it can turn very very quickly. So. Um, I know Eddie Howe had time Eddie Howe had time but the guy that succeeded Eddie Howe didn't get much time because once you've been up there Eddie Howe's got time to bring them through to the divisions when there's when there's not the expectation and when Bournemouth eventually gets into the Premier League it's an amazing thing you know I think uh, when Bournemouth got in there Manchester City signed Kevin De Bruyne Kevin De Bruyne what they paid for Kevin De Bruyne was worth more than every transfer in the history of Bournemouth Football Club put together. So that Mm. was the achievement to get into the Premier League. I mean, it was just incredible. But once you've been in there, then you've got that expectation. And that's what Thierry is going to be, or anyone is going to be working with now, the expectation of, we want to get back there. We want to be promoted. We want to be promoted pretty damn quick as well. Um, And that's a completely different pressure to the one that Eddie Howe was under. Dan, you got a view on Thierry Henry if he goes to Bournemouth? Well, firstly, I agree with Jamie in terms of when you're around him and you spend some time with him and work with him. He's an impressive guy. He really will be. You know, if you're a young player or a player and someone like that walks in the door, he's already got four months, five months, six months, you know, because of who he is. Um, I think it's one of those difficult ones because if if I'm the owner of Bournemouth and I've put my money in, and I'm worried about the asset and I'm worried about am I going to get the Premier League, I'd probably go safe. And it's this merry-go-round of, you know, the older managers who've been done it, got, got out of the championship more than once. You could pay and, and, and hope that that succeeds. Or you could applaud them, I suppose, for thinking outside the box. 
and actually trying something different because football evolves, managers evolve, and how do you ever get experience if you don't give someone the chance? So it's it's a risk. But a new manager is always a risk, even if he's done it before. But Bournemouth have got a good squad and and Thierry's a confident guy. I mean, he 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 could he could really do well there. I, I quite like the um the idea of it. I think it's it's a brave decision if they go that way. Um, but it'd be great to see him in the Premier League managing, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Be, mm. yeah. yeah. It'll be really fun. It's going to be a great story to follow, whatever. Martin, uh, you've written about this today. Referee Darren Drysdale charged with improper conduct after squaring up to Ipswich's Alan Judge. Judge himself has said there's no need for Drysdale to apologise. Judge says, I wasn't looking for one or looking for any action to be taken. In football, as everyone knows, stuff happens in the heat of the moment. We all make mistakes. And for me, that's the end of this. What have, what have you said in today's column? Well, the, 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 uh, two things. That one, Drysdale's toast, basically. I mean, he's, he's going to get banned for a, a long time, I would imagine, um, because you can't have that and you've got, to set a, you've got to set the precedent. You've got to set the example. You can't have the precedent being that you can square at the referee, you can start um, squaring up to the players and, and, the, and, and the precedent you set is a, is a two-week ban or something like that. So he will be um, suspended, I would imagine, for a long time. But that everyone who watches football, anyone who watches football, can understand someone cracking, someone in a position of authority cracking, when there is this constant challenge to authority, constant you know challenge to their integrity. It was it was going to happen sooner or later that someone was just going to snap, and and you don't know what's gone on in his day. You don't know, you know, it's in the ninetieth minute of the match. You don't know how much of it he's had to put up with and and, and everything, and he's got to a point where he's flipped, basically. And he's not a novice. It's not like he's some inexperienced referee. Man has been refereeing matches in the uh, in the EFL, or Football League, or whatever it's called now. I can never remember. It changes every fortnight. Um, he's been refereeing there for uh, since 2004. He ran the line at the 2000 FA Cup when Chelsea beat Aston Villa. Uh, he was a UEFA linesman as well. Um, referees in the FA Cup third round, refereed in the FA Cup third round this year, Norwich versus Coventry. So he's not some raw kid. He's a 50-year-old. It was his 50th birthday yesterday. He's a 50-year-old man. So he, he isn't a nutcase. You know, it's not like one of these, oh, that always happens with Darren. Every year he's <laughs> yeah. oh, Darren at someone. God, Darren, what a loony. Um, it's, it's not. It's not. It's, it, it's just a, a one-off thing. But it shows you the pressure these guys are under. Um, and I'm not in any way attempting to justify it. He is going to be banned for a very long time. No one will be surprised, and I wouldn't have thought anyone will argue it. But you know his career. You sort of understand that. No, 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 I'm not saying that. But I'm just thinking he will be he will be banned as a footballer will be banned if he did the same thing to a referee, and you wouldn't expect to see that player again for the rest of the season, maybe maybe longer, six months or something like that. Um. But that's all I mean is that I, I totally understand what's going to happen, but we sort of understand why yeah. it does happen, why it has happened, shall we say. Danny, Dean Ashton said on the radio yesterday that, you know, the abuse that referee gets is frankly unacceptable and completely over the top. So as Martin says, it's, they're only humans. It's maybe not surprising that occasionally someone just has had enough. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what Martin said. I, I think the punishment should be there because he's, he's, he's the guy on the pitch that's supposed to be calm and, and set the precedent and the example to everybody watching so you have to come down on him um i wouldn't want him to lose his job over it. he is a human we do make mistakes we don't know what was said to him 
I like the fact the judge came out and said what he said. Maybe he's trying to deflect from whatever he said to him coming out in the wash as well. But I, I think we've lost a little bit that rapport. I think um, I'm not suggesting you should be putting your head in ref's face or vice versa. But, you know, I, I remember many referees who I would really give it to verbally, you know, and get, get it back. And then afterwards, shake hands and you, you build a relationship that way. I mean, you call me old school or old fashioned, but I, I, I think we've gone a little bit too far the other way. Um, I think it's important that you... I mean, there was an incident, wasn't there, last... I think it was last year or the year before when Dan Goslin at Bournemouth mm. complained about John Moss, I think it was, um, having a little go about their, their predicament in the league and how badly they were playing. And, and I, was, I, I thought that was bang out of order from Goslin because... Mm. You, the refs take a hell I've said things to refs I regret I've said some very demeaning disrespectful awful things to refs and, and I've had some things back said to me but you can't you, if you give it you've got to take it a little bit mm. I mean I think we've got very honest refs generally yes you can argue about the quality but the integri integrity of our football and our four divisions is very good and been there a long time I, I, I hope I hope this doesn't cause a knock-on effect where everything a ref says now or does is overanalyzed and picked up on. Mm. So, mm. What, what, was, what, was, what was the sort of uh, exchanges you had with referees, Danny? Give us a sort of insight. Oh, <laughs> well, I, I would as a say, challenge. <laughs> I, I, I would normally go down the line of trying to tell them in in harsher words than I'm saying now how bad yeah. they are at the job. I'd pick on the size of them, if they're not in shape, how tight your tops or uniform was. Um, oh, you're you tight. Know. You have a tight top, Dan. Don't you start pre-season. <laughs> not as tight as they are now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I'd have stuff. I mean, Mark, me and Mark also used to have some great band. He was probably the one who you could take it the furthest with. And he'd give it your back. He'd have a pop at your performance, how, how you were getting rinsed by whoever you were playing against. He'd give it your right back. But you... You'd, you'd come off with Mark after and put your arm around him and have a laugh and then shake up his hand, you know. And um, it, But it does get pretty heated. I, I thought, I think it was the best way. I thought it was a really good way of building rapport with referees. Same in the dressing room and in any workplace. You know, you, lads do that. They have a bit of to and fro and then you get, you get a bit of respect mm. when they give it your back. You're testing each other. But, you, you know, we've got to be careful not to deviate from the point. Physical stuff is just unacceptable. Sure. You, you can't be putting your head in people's faces and grabbing refs and vice versa. That, that's where the lines cross. Yeah. The only the only disappointment for me, Mark, was that it wasn't a game that was had VAR because that would VAR have dealt with it. That would have been hilarious. Very true. But, Very true. Oh, I mean, what would they have done? Yeah. I mean, how do you deal yeah. with it? And 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 it yeah. makes a change from talking about VAR because I'm well. I think we all we're all fed up of doing that. But it would have been a, a, an incredible situation if that had been the Premier League to see how the VAR would have gone. Well, yeah. what you do is send the ref off because yeah. you can't. Look, I agree with the boys. I think they've, they've they've explained it perfectly. You can't do it. But there are times, and I, I wasn't just a footballer or a pundit or, a, but I'm a fan. There are times when if I was a referee now and I see someone roll over, mm. and, and unfortunately now we pick up all this, the, the, the noise when you're watching the game yeah, without crowd noise. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. it drives me insane. I want to jump through the TV and pick them up. I'm like, what are you doing? Mm. Get up. So the referees mm. now, it's become different. The game is so, it, it's a completely different game now in terms of players trying to get advantage to, you know, and the, the way they speak to referees, I don't think they do, Dan, anymore. I remember, you know, talking, I remember saying things to Graham Pohl. I was watching the game not long ago, Dan, it was on TV with the FA Cup when Graham Pohl gave a free kick. Remember the game we lost when United won the treble and he mm. gave a free kick last minute of the game. And, and I, 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 
I, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't embarrass myself by saying that of the things I called him. There wasn't a word or anything. I, I didn't, everything in my vocabulary just come out <laughs> in about 30 seconds. And I called him the lot and it cost us because I knew it as well. And, and, and I have to be honest, I remember him doing uh, something you might have played, Dan. Did you play Fulham against Southampton? Um, with Booba Diop that day, you, you wouldn't have been at Fulham then. No, you, I think you went, you came after. And I remember Graham Pole, something happened in that game, and I thought, you got me back for that. I remember, yeah. But, then, <laughs> but there are certain times where you, yeah. you have, of course, you say things you regret them, like Danny says, you shouldn't, but it is the heat of the moment. And he's had a, he's had a moment. Martin and Danny have said it perfectly. We don't know right now what's going on in people's lives what the stress levels are beyond the roof for some like you know through the roof for some people he's reacted um he's made he's certainly made a name for himself now because he wasn't anyone that had been on my radar before martin obviously knows him and because you know his knowledge of the game etc i hope that he, t- he, he gets a ban but he might actually come back from this a much better referee and and, mm. and also to a certain extent He's gained a bit of respect for me because I feel, I feel that footballers, sometimes they behave, <laughs> some of his behaviour on the pitch is, is disgraceful, the way they dive and cheat. It's, it's, we've all done it, but the levels now are going too far for me. Hold on, hold on. We, we've all done it. No, I haven't cheated. I haven't dived. Never dived in my life, Jay. Never. Stop it, Dan. You I promise rascal. you. I have never dived in my life. I'm with uh, you, though. I hate it. I've got to add my two pennies with because... I've never seen so many players trying to stitch up other players. It's, mm. it's, it's something that's just grown and crept into our game over time more and more. And this lack of crowd is making it more obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. And I hope we, I don't know what happened a few years ago. I was asked to be part of one of the people on the panel regarding, you know, the diving and the, the trying to con reps and cheat. Yeah. What's happened to that? Why, why is that gone? No. You know, no, it's the, if we don't punish it, it'll keep happening. Well, the ridiculous thing the other the other week is that Mitrovic appeared, came out of it as some sort of hero because he intervened <laughs> to try to stop a bloke getting sent off that would never have been sent off in a million years if it wasn't for what Mitrovic had done by falling to the floor, <laughs> claiming he'd been elbowed in the face, which he hadn't. Yeah, exactly, um, you know, yeah. Deliberately elbowed in the face, shall we say. You know, and then it's, <laughs> oh, he spoke, he spoke up for Suchek at the tribunal. I'm thinking, well... I hope he did because it's yeah. all his fault. It is all his fault. Yeah. Jamie, maybe just to finish on this, as Danny was saying, if we had a little bit more to and fro banter between the refs and the players, because at the moment it does seem extremely them and us, doesn't it? It does seem almost extremely authoritarian on both sides, actually. You can't talk to me. I can't talk to you. Whereas it's a bit more you're having a nightmare. A few refs have said to me that they're quite happy said to players. Dermot Gallagher said to me once, and someone said to him, you're having a nightmare, Dermot. I think I actually said to Dion Dublin, who I work with regularly, and Dermot went, not as big as your nightmare you're having, Dion. You know, they, you know, everyone has mm. a laugh, they get on with the game. It mm. just feels if there was a little bit more of that, it wouldn't maybe we wouldn't it wouldn't be quite so difficult on the pitch. I agree, Mark, but the problem you've got now, if you want to do that, you one, you need to go and talk to the ref, then you need to go and talk to the VAR machine on the side of the pitch, because the referee really isn't isn't in charge mm. like he was when we mm. played. So you you had that situation where you'd say something to the ref, but really the um, I think where that where we've got a, it, the big problem. Well, it's, it's another, it's a larger issue, and I don't want to bore everyone with it. But the other problem is, I, I do think the standards of refereeing is going to go down now because they're afraid to make decisions yeah. because they know that if you put your flag up, if you make, if you get a decision made right there on the spot, like they used to have to make, and if they got it wrong, you, I think because you felt they were doing it with from an from an honest standpoint, 
and it was just a matter of opinion. Whereas now it's still a matter of opinion, but you've got a machine still calling it or, or someone in a VAR that doesn't, we're not, these aren't matter of fact decisions they're making. So the, the, the banter with a referee or the chat or the, or the, the, the to and fro, it just won't happen anymore because of VAR and what that's caused. Yeah, that, that might well be the case. Let's finish off with a couple of big derbies this weekend. And you, you both know them extremely well. Let's start with the, the Merseyside derby. And Everton haven't won at Anfield this century. <laughs> Literally wow. this century. Um, Everton have lost their last two. Obviously, Liverpool, their last three in the league. But obviously, Liverpool have had the win in the week. Uh, Danny, but, but Everton, I mean, brilliant against Tottenham in the cup, then ran out of steam against Fulham. Everyone loses to Man City. But Calvert-Lewin's injuries, you know, you sort of begin and end there, don't you, with Everton at the moment? Well, to a degree, when, you, when Everton yeah. started the season with James, Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin, there was a lot of hope. Uh, they had a good little run, didn't they, where they went won a few games. But the reality is the strength and depth isn't as good as the big boys. Um, I like Ancelotti. I like the fact he's trying to move the club forward. They've got more creativity, a bit more know-how. They've, they've missed Alan in the middle of the park. He, he was looking good for them and then got injured. Um, but they really have struggled against Liverpool for a long time now, mainly based on quality. But I think also, you know, the mentality going into that derby has to change a little bit. You have to be clever and cute at times, when, the, especially when the crowd are in there, which they won't be, um, which might help a little bit. But I, I think this is, this is such a big game for Liverpool in the Premier League in terms of getting back on track and trying to make sure they get back in that top four. That it's a bad time for Everton. You know, they haven't got everyone fit. They're playing a wounded animal who've got lots of quality in attacking areas. I, I can't see anything other than a Liverpool win, but I've said that before. I've said that before. <laughs> I think I, I was captain last time that they um, that they won at Anfield. I, I blame the players around me. I think you was playing that day, Dan. <laughs> The, uh... <laughs> Steve, is that when Stevie got sent off? Yeah. I, did, yeah. I think Kevin Campbell scored, didn't he? Was it yeah. Kevin Campbell? Yeah, yes. yeah he did. Yeah. Uh, Stevie yeah. went into a tackle. Oh, my God. VAR would have been, been, been <laughs> around then, Dad. He'd got about a two-year ban. Yeah, he would. Took his neck off, didn't he? <laughs> but, he, uh, yeah, I, I, I disagree with Danny to a certain extent. I think they're not going to... They'll never get a better... Well, they're going to get a great chance to win in this one. I think Liverpool right now, especially after the back... I know Everton played midweek, but um, I, I think going to Anfield isn't, obviously, for a number of reasons. The players, the personnel, the crowd. This is... Everyone has the best chance they, they've had in years of winning at Anfield. With it, you're playing on a pitch. You're not playing against the crowd. You're not attacking the cop end second half because you know when all the coaches or the managers say, listen, if we can get it into their art, the, the cop will suck it in. That's how it has always been. That's not got, that's not there anymore. So I think Everton have got a really good chance. Um, Even without Calvert-Lewin, Jay? Yeah, as good a chance as you're going to ever get. I do think Calvert-Lewin makes such a difference. I, I like Richarlison. And I looked yeah. at it, you know, even in against Man City, he was far and away their best player. And it, it, it might actually suit him because I think because Calvert-Lewin's done so well, it's almost put Richarlison's nose out of place a little bit. So it's, um, you know, I, I, I think this is a tough one to call. It, it norm, normally, you'd say Liverpool win this game because of the fear factor and they, they, they'll win it and it'll be a, one of those typical games that we've seen over the last 20 years. But this one, I think, is wide open and, and Everton certainly have a better chance than they have had previous years. Mm. Martin, how, how do you look at this one? Um, as my bookmaker will tell you, I can never see a favourite getting beat. So, um, <laughs> I, I always, um, you know, I would, I would go with Liverpool because I just think they're, they're a better team. But I do agree with, with Jamie that if, if someone could give you the option of playing Liverpool and you could 
pick hand-picked two or three, you know, circumstances in which you play Liverpool, no fans at Anfield, missing Virgil van Dijk, that that would certainly be two things very very high on your on on your wish list. So you know it is it is all it is always an opportunity for people mm. uh, in this current climate to to go to Anfield and do something that they maybe haven't been able to do before. Having said that, I fancy Liverpool because I think they're a better yeah. team. Yeah, yeah. This is it. This is it, Mark. You know, I keep oh Liverpool have lost their unbeaten record at Anfield. No, they've not. They've left it. They've lost it on a pitch. You, there yeah. is no crowd there. You know, yeah. Danny yeah. will tell yeah, you, when you walk out onto that pitch at Anfield when there's 50,000 people there and they're all, there's a noise. You yeah. used to look at the team next to you. Some, of course, when you played United, they didn't care because they were used to it. But sometimes you thought, well, we've won. We've won. Yeah. And that's what yeah. Anfield did. They would, yeah. you know, even if it wasn't that great a team, it was the fear factor. Right now, there is no noise. You see teams playing out from the back again. I was watching West Brom playing out from the back and Burnley. Understand. They're not doing that. They're not doing that when there's 50,000 people there. No. The crowd are making them so scared. They're making mistakes. You get nervous. There is no fear factor right now. When Jurgen no. Klopp had that row with Des Kelly um, about the timing of the football match or whatever, I was waiting for Des to say to him, mate, let me just explain this to you. Unless we're here, you might just well play this over Stanley Park. You might just well put your chuck suit down and play it over Stanley Park. Because if there's no fans and there's no television, <laughs> it's a game of football between two sets of lads, basically, you yeah. can have that over Stanley Park. Yeah. You know, that, yeah. That's, yeah. That's, that's the thing. There is, there is no business. So, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, without the fans in there, it's a pitch. Uh, and let's finish with a game. I, I don't know. I, I don't know in the Red Nap household how you all line up with this West Ham and Tottenham because you've got so many connections with both. Obviously, Jamie, in, mm. in with you and your dad, obviously, particularly West Ham are doing really well at the moment. I mean, that's the that's the most important thing to say. If you support West Ham and you're not often upbeat, but you must be upbeat at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Made some really good signings. Uh, really good result. The one result that I think it would equate it to this game was the performance against Liverpool, where I felt this is again, and you'll never get a better chance to beat Liverpool. You know, set pieces are obviously going to be so important. The first set piece they got, they played it short, and I'm thinking, well, what are you doing? You know, you've got you're the best team in the country at set pieces. You've got Suchek and all these players. They played it short every time they scored. They end up scoring a set piece with five minutes to go or whatever. This is a game where you're playing against a fragile Tottenham side, and you've got to make sure that you you get after them. And I and I just sometimes with David Moyes, I feel that he worries about. You know, the other side, you know, what we have to do when we haven't got the ball. Now, you, the team is playing well. When you've got the likes of Jesse Lingard and, and the players up front are, are, are playing as well as what they I don't know if Antonio's fit tonight. What do we know about that, Martin? <laughs> you never know. We never know. Until the team sheet yeah. comes out. That's yeah. the thing. It's, it's, it's one of those injuries that it can, you know, everyone expected him to play in the last game and, and, and he didn't play, basically. So it, it, it's... It, it changes week to week. It's an ongoing injury problem. Yeah. But, but I, I, what my point is, is, I don't know if you agree with this, Dad, have a go at Tottenham. Have a go at them. Don't, <laughs> don't be disappointed when you're in the, in the dressing room after like they must have been against Liverpool where you did everything like what, defensively. They're, this is a team that's fragile. Try and get after them. Try and get three points. You're in good form. You've got so many points in the bank. They're in a much better situation than anyone thought they would be. And, and they seem to be enjoying their football right now. Well, I think in the first game, if you remember, were they 3-0 down very quickly, yeah. weren't they? Yeah, they, they, they because time. they were a bit passive. And if they haven't learned from that, they'll never learn. I mean, Moisey is a defensive coach generally, and that's where he gets his success. So I understand being hard to beat. But I think against Tottenham, yeah, I agree. I mean, they've, they've got good legs in the team, West Ham now. 
good athlete, good athletes. They can press. You know, they're not carrying players. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a good time. It's the first time I think in a long time. I actually, um, actually interviewed Declan yesterday. He was in great form. But I think this is the first time that they've played in a long time where Tottenham are actually below West Ham. Mm-hmm. You know, looking mm-hmm. up. You know, West Ham mm-hmm. actually looking down on Spurs now, and you you could argue in some I don't know. You tell me, Mark, being the gambling man, is the uh, West Ham could be at least equal favourites, if not favourites, for this yeah, game the way yeah, Tottenham yeah, yeah. have been. Yeah. So it just shows you how far West Ham have come, or maybe the demise of Spurs. But um, it certainly wouldn't surprise anybody if West Ham beat them, would it? Yeah. That's for sure. No, uh, no. And you mentioned it, Martin. We have to say. Jesse Lingard, take your hat off to him Fantastic. because a the impact he's had, you know, the way he's played, but the impact he's had on the team as well. Mm. I always thought Jesse Lingard was was very unlucky when uh, Gareth Southgate um, dropped him from the England team because I take the fact that he wasn't playing for Manchester United or whatever. But of all the guys that have been um, cold is the wrong word because mm. some of them then come back. But of all the guys that Gareth has sort of gone away from and and. He'd actually never let England down. I thought, I thought no. he played very, very well for England, Jesse. You know, I, I, I thought he was very, very unfortunate to to lose his place in the squad. And and he looks that player again at West Ham. He's he's, he's been a he's been a real rejuvenating force for West Ham. Um, as far as what you were saying about how happy West Ham fan, fans are, I mean, <laughs> we're you know delirious, obviously, but but at the same time, should have beaten Arsenal. Should have been an Arsenal. See, you know, you'd always come back to something that you, you should have done. And, and that was a classic day when, with a little bit more ambition, Arsenal were there for the taking, West Ham get beat 2-1. And uh, I totally take the guy's points about David Moyes, that when he plays the bigger clubs, he'll, he reverts to the sort of, yeah. right, now we, we, we set out, you know, we set out not to get beat and, and to contain this. And, contain. and a, 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 an opportunity against Arsenal was missed and they can't miss that opportunity against Tottenham. You can't start treating Tottenham like they're top of the league Tottenham because they're not. They're ninth place Tottenham at the moment. Mm. Um, and West Ham have got the players to, to cause, cause them a real problem tomorrow, uh, Sunday. 